Our biggest problem and God's great solution, next on Abounding Grace. It's been a long year, been hard. Some of you, very first time back, and it's just been challenging. It's been difficult, been frustrating, and everything, just so much. Boom, boom, boom. The whole year is so hard, so hard, so hard. And so you carry some of that burden into the room today, and you have issues and problems related to the last year. Whatever you think your problem is today, that's actually not your worst problem. You see, the biggest problem in this room is sin. It's so huge and so significant that it moved God. The creator of the universe moved God to send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to live, die, and he indeed rose again from the dead to deal with sin. This is amazing grace. Great to have you along as we present the Good Friday edition of Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you want to find your place there now. The gospel, more than anything in this world, lives up to its name. It truly is good news. And I think you'd agree good news is desperately needed today in our day of hopelessness and uncertainty. Well, right at the heart of the gospel message is the resurrection of Jesus. Here's Pastor Ed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's hard not to mention that this time last year, this room was empty. And it is a different building when nobody's here. Like the church is truly not a building. The Bible is very clear that the church is people. It's you and me. And this building comes alive when you're here. With the beginning of the pandemic and the changes, we were not open at this time. And not only that, but During that time that we weren't open, we did live services every single service. So every service, Saturday night, we woke up in the morning, Pastor Ian and his team came, and to a predominantly empty room, we did fresh live services for our online and radio audiences throughout that whole time, with the exception of Easter. Because there's so many services, Pastor Ian and I and the leadership decided, hey, why don't we just go ahead and record one service and we'll replay that uh, on all of the extra services that we plan. We actually played it all day as we do now. We have services playing all day online. So what that meant was that Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, for the first time in 21 years, 14 years in this building, seven years over at the school, No matter what, no matter what the weather was, no matter how much snow was there, no matter what, for the first time in 21 years in the life of our church, we did not gather for Easter. And it was so sad and discouraging. I was home. I wasn't sick. It wasn't a snow day. And I was home on Easter Sunday. And at that time, you'll recall, we weren't sure what the future would hold. We didn't know which way it was going. As a matter of fact, when we got together as a leadership team here and started to assess what the future might be, we absolutely believed it would be over by Easter. And we're like, okay, church, we can do this. We can get through this. We'll be back together. And it wasn't. It didn't end up the way that we expected at all. 
And yet here we are gathered together. And it is a new Easter and a new year. And new years always give me that sense of new possibilities, a freshness, or what Jesus described, uh, a new wine for new wineskins. And God is doing a fresh thing. And God wants you to know that he is desiring you to participate in this new thing that he's doing. Eyes on the prize, focused upon your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I know that many of you listening to me right now, your relationship with Jesus suffered this previous year. It suffered. The year may have started out with a little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety. And then you began to watch online. You began to try. But then you kind of pulled back because there was really not much to do. And so your service unto the Lord was was lacking. And, and then maybe your Devo life was lacking. And then, and then maybe your, your entire spiritual life suffered. But here you are now. No need to look backwards in terms of condemnation or guilt or shame. No, no, not, not that. But acknowledge it and say, okay, here I am. It's a new year, fresh direction. God has taught us a lot. And because of what I've learned, I'm going to be a different person this year. I'm going to be a different man, a different woman, different mom, different dad, different aunt, different uncle. I want to be different. I want the fresh new resurrection life of Jesus Christ to change me for the good, to move forward with what God has given us. And so here I am with the privilege. It's a high, high calling and a privilege. It's an amazing privilege, really, to share with you that Jesus Christ is the only way to a right relationship with God. He alone can forgive your sin, and He alone can change your life, and He alone can rescue your marriage, and He alone can give you the strength in your singleness, and He alone can turn your family around. He alone is a very important phrase, because the Bible records Jesus, and it quotes Jesus as saying this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. He claims the exclusive pathway into a relationship with God. There are not two ways. There are not five ways. There are not 20 ways. There is one way to a relationship with God, and the only way is through Jesus. It's not through a church. A pastor can't give it to you. A priest can't give it to you. Sacraments can't give it to you. Only the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary and affirmed by his resurrection, can forgive your sins and save your soul. But Ed, I have a different view than you do. I know you're a pastor, and I know you need to say that, but I have a different view. And some of you may be thinking, now wait a minute, Ed, I, I, thought, I thought that all roads lead to God. I mean, all roads lead to God. I mean, I'm a good person. I'm a moral person. Are you telling me? That the only way to God is not being good and moral, but that I have to come to terms with what Jesus said and did? Well, you may be a little shocked and surprised by my answer when you tell me that all roads lead to God. So don't be surprised, but let it sit with you. I actually agree with you when you say that all roads lead to God. I agree. All roads do lead to God. There are a lot of different choices out there. A lot of different philosophies. A lot of different religious systems, a lot of different thinking, people even making up their own way to God, and whatever path you choose in life, I agree with you. It's going to end in the presence of God. It will find, you will find yourself at the end of your life, no matter the road or the choice that you've taken, 
in the presence of God who will then require from you an accounting of the life that you lived. He'll require that from you. Oh, you're right. Don't misunderstand me. I don't believe in all roads lead to God like you do. I do believe in the exclusivity of the road that leads to life. <laughs> you see, all roads lead to God, but only one road leads to the forgiveness of your sins. Only one road leads to the change of your life. Only one road will cleanse you and change you. And only one road will give you what you're really truly longing for. And that's to be born again in a right relationship with your creator. And well, what about being good? What difference does it make then, Ed? If I'm a good moral person and it doesn't get me to heaven, then what difference does it make? Well, let me tell you, it makes a lot of difference. Those of you that have chosen a good moral life, thank you. you you've been a, a, an asset to our community. You help and serve and give. I mean, being good is so much better than being bad. You're not a drain on society. We don't have to fear you. You try to bring peace and joy and happiness everywhere you go. And we appreciate that. Thank you. But don't think that being good is actually good enough in the presence of God. See, because when you think of that definition, you know, I'm good, we actually have to ask you, what do you mean by good? What's your definition? <laughs> and you know how it is. <laughs> Whenever somebody's talking about good, when they compare themselves, they always compare themselves to the absolute worst person on the planet that ever lived on the planet Earth. Rarely do they ever compare themselves to someone that's better than them. It's like, well, how good are you? Well, you know, at least, I, at least I'm not Hitler. Well, I'm so glad you're not. Compared to Hitler, everybody's good. But see, we don't compare ourselves to another person. Let me ask you this. When you say you're a good moral person, when you compare yourself to Jesus Christ, how do you measure up? I suspect if you took a real close look at your own life, you'd measure up, you'd come to the conclusion, hey, I'm no Jesus Christ. Thank God, I'm glad you're not. There's only one. Of course you're not Jesus. Because the issue in the room today, you know, you think about it. We walk in today, and it's been a long year, been hard. Some of you, very first time back, and it's just been challenging. It's been difficult, been frustrating, and everything. Just so much. Boom, boom, boom. The whole year is so hard, so hard, so hard. And so you carry some of that burden into the room today, and you have issues and problems related to the last year. And that's just how you, the newness of your life, it's become so much harder and challenging. But you know, that's not, whatever you think your problem is today, that's actually not your worst problem. I mean, the things that you faced and the difficulties you've experienced, you're going, boy, Ed, this is hard, and Ed, this is difficult. And, and I agree with you, it's hard and difficult, but it's not your biggest problem. You see, the biggest problem in this room is sin. That's your biggest problem. It's so huge and so significant that it moved God. The creator of the universe moved God to send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to live, die, and he indeed rose again from the dead to deal with sin. Because none of us could do it on our own. None of us. We were stuck. And some of you are still stuck because of sin and the brokenness of your life. 
Now, I know sin's not a popular word right now. I realize that. It's not a very, unless you're reading the Bible or reading a book about the Bible or listening to a Bible study, I mean, they're not even using that word in our culture today. It's not popular. And everyone loves to put new spins on old sins. You know, you, you don't want, people don't want to say, I'm a liar. They say, no, I'm not a liar. I'm a reality enhancement engineer. <laughs> oh, nice. People say, I'm not a thief. I'm an allocation management specialist. I'm not a gossip. I'm an information dissemination agent. How about this? I'm not bossy. I'm just a life control director. <laughs> the extremes that people go to in order to justify what they do and what they know to be wrong. So I know sin is not popular. So let's take that word and just set it aside for a second. Well, before we set it aside, we probably should define it, right? Sin comes to us from the Greek language. It's translated into English. It comes to us from a word in the Greek language. And the reason why we refer to the Greek language is because the Bible, the New Testament, the section that we're reading right now was written in the first century and the common language of the day in the first century was Greek. Koine Greek, common, just conversational Greek. The word that was chosen that we translate sin literally means to miss the mark. Miss the mark. And what that means in your mind, picture this in your imagination, picture a person with a bow and arrow because the word comes to us from the world of archery. Picture someone with a bow and arrow pulling back, shooting the arrow at the target and missing it. They would call that a sin. The goal of the arrow is to hit the target. I mean, even in the target, you see the targets today, they have concentric circles, right? You can hit the bullseye, you can hit the, just hit the target. That's it, just hit the target, that's your goal. When you miss the target, that's called a sin. That's called a sin. So. Set that aside for a second. Let's talk about a different word. Since sin can be uncomfortable, let's talk about a word that's probably more comfortable for all of us, mistakes. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on this. This is going to be a room full. You guys online, on the radio, I want you to participate with us too. I'm going to ask you a question, and if the answer is yes, raise your hand. Have you ever made a mistake? Yes or no? Oh, look, the flags are waving so much. There's so much wind in here. And if you didn't make, if you didn't raise your hand right now, that was a mistake. <laughs> of course we have. Our culture even kind of values that. You know, I'm not perfect. You know, we make a mistake, and then when we're defending ourselves, we go, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're right. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And how easy it is to admit that, stay with me, how easy it is to admit that we've missed the mark in life. But we've made a mistake. Of course we have. None of us are perfect. You could say it this way. We have all made mistakes and haven't lived a perfect life. We could say that with authority because we have. It's not just you. It's not just you've made a mistake. And it's not just me that I've made a mistake. No, it's we have made it. We all are under the shadow of our own failures and our own mistakes. You with me so far? Yes? Okay, so what you in our culture calls mistakes, the Bible calls sin. And so what I've just explained to you can be summarized in one little verse in the Bible. It says this, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
We've missed the mark in our lives, in our relationship with God. Of course, when we transfer that word and refer to God, it's much more serious than the little everyday mistakes. You know, like you think of some of the mistakes. Some of you made mistakes on your way into church today. You got mad at the kids, got mad at your wife, husband. You know, we just, it's more than running a red light or speeding. Like when you talk about sin, you are talking about your failure to live up to the righteous standard that God has set for his creation. I mean, this is serious stuff. It's serious stuff. That's why the world and our culture doesn't like to talk about it. They like to excuse it. Maybe you, you like to excuse it. You don't want to admit just how bad you are. You, you look and you go, man, I'm a good person and I'm a good person. I'm not that bad. But whatever bad you are, you're bad. It's bad. When you hurt somebody's feelings, when you take something that's not yours, when you're not trustworthy, when you lie, that's bad. It's not good. And you can be a good person and do bad things. It's possible. Because I think in our heart of hearts, most of us want to be good. Like we want to make a difference. We want to love people and serve people. We want to help. And so to miss the mark with God, sin, is to miss the target completely. And, you know, the target with God, he doesn't have concentric circles. He only has one, just one circle. You know what it is? Perfection. That's what God requires, perfection. And because we've all just admitted that we're not perfect, then we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Like your issue and my issue of sin is so serious that God would send his son to die for you. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. Remember, if you were with us on Good Friday, you learned that Jesus was such a wonderful, I mean, it's understatement, right? But just such a wonderful man to be around. He loved people, served people, healed the lepers, fed people. I mean, everywhere he went, he brought good. The, the only times there were difficulties with Jesus were with the religious rulers that were misrepresenting God. And he says, enough of that. You guys are lying to the people. You, you, you're, not, you're not speaking the truth. But the common people loved him and heard him and loved to be around him. What was his reward for living a perfect life? How does the culture reward perfection? Well, we know. They tied him to it. First of all, they lied about him, slandered him, falsely accused him. His best friend betrayed him. And then they took him away, all these fake trials found him guilty, released a murderer and an insurrectionist out back into the population, took Jesus, tied him to a pole, and beat him mercilessly. The Bible word for that, every time you read it now, I want you to remember it. It's, the Bible word is scourging. Scourging took two Roman soldiers where they would take a man with his back laid wide open, tie him to a post or lay him down. Uh, we don't know exactly how, what happened to Jesus. But then the, the Roman soldiers with this cat of nine tails, which was a, a stick with some leather um, strips out of it with bone and things, metal in it. And they would full force whip the back of a man from head to toe. Full force. One after another. Boom. 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 Most men either died under the scourging or they confessed to a crime they didn't commit so it would stop. But not Jesus. He endured it all for you and me. Not only that, he was beat so bad, the Bible says, that unless you knew him, you wouldn't have recognized him. He was beaten unrecognizably. That was the reward our culture places on perfection. And so here we are, oh, I'm a good person, but, but yeah, but you're not perfect. And that's why you so often walk around with a guilty conscience and why you live maybe angry all the time, why you live in a state of denial. Maybe you live 
drinking and you're just under the influence all the time because you don't want to feel what you're feeling. Maybe that's why you're going from relationship to relationship because you don't want to deal with the issue. And listen, this happens to believers too, by the way. Where a born-again believer can be so hurt, so traumatized, so mad, and, and instead of just dealing with it, because who wants to deal with that? They go right back to habits that will sort of alleviate that. But, it, but you learn it never alleviates it. It just makes things worse. It just makes things worse. That's where we are here in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writing to this church that had forgotten the gospel. A church that was no longer declaring sin, they were actually living in it. But that makes sense in some ways because when you read 1 Corinthians, the word Corinthian actually is referencing a city, the city of Corinth, Asia Minor area, Greece, in that area. It's referencing a city that was growing up in a Greek culture. The Greek culture of the day in the first century was very idolatrous, very humanistic, very secular. And the gospel came and transformed a group of believers. But the greatest problem of the, of the culture of the first century, of the Greek culture, was they didn't believe in the resurrection. They dismissed it. They were humanists. They didn't believe in the supernatural. And whatever supernatural they believed in was very weird in mythology, you know, mythological. You have to understand that you live in a culture too. When we're, we as pastors try to describe it when we're teaching the Bible, we might use phrases like the American church, or we might use phrases like Western culture, or we might talk about society or even use the word culture. What we're trying to describe for you is the atmosphere in which you live. This culture has a message. This culture has a medium of displaying that message. They, they want you to not believe in the truths of the Scripture, so they minimize it, and they undermine it, and they make fun of you. And, and if you're not careful, you'll forget that you live and swim in this culture so much, you might forget that that's, that's very, very dangerous for your mind. You can start to believe things. You can start to adapt. You can start to believe things that the Bible clearly says are not true because you picked it up along the way. That's where the Corinthians are. And he just wants to remind them of two things, which I want to remind you today. Number one, he wants to remind them of the gospel. Notice verse one. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So all true believers, he says, don't you guys remember the gospel, the good news? It changed your life. That's why there's a church there. There's a, there was the, the gospel, the good news. And you say, what is the gospel? Verse 3, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Here's the gospel. It's very simple. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Why did he die for our sins? Because of sin. That's why he died. Because of our sin. Your sin and mine. And it says that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel that I get to declare to you today, believer and unbeliever alike. Those of you that are saved, remember the gospel. Remember the significance of the life, death, and resurrection. They all go together. You know, when we gather together for Christmas, I do the same thing. I tie the birth of Jesus to his death and resurrection because they all go together. It's a package. The fullness of what God has done for you and me. 
You're listening to a special Easter message from Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. It's based on 1 Corinthians 15, and you can hear it again at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or listen through the Calvary Church app. You can search for Ed Taylor to download that today. If you haven't read Chuck Smith's classic book, Love the More Excellent Way, we'd like to recommend that you do. We'd love to get this into your hands. You'll not only discover what love is, as defined by God, but also how to love the more excellent way. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. You can also request this and other resources online at calvaryco.store. If you just like to make a donation and not interested in the pick of the month, you can just go online to aboundinggraceradio.com. We hope you and your family have a blessed Easter celebration. Jesus is alive, and in Christ, your sins are forgiven. That is good reason to celebrate. Join us next time on Abounding Grace as we continue to study through the Bible and learn of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.